Well, looks like I have a call with my legal team this afternoon. It was at 10 this morning, but I actually forgot to schedule it with Bill. Yes, the Kraken half-Asian super lawyer, Bill. Um, and so I'm going to be talking to him at 3.30 today because I feel like I need to get you know brought up to speed on exactly if there is some sort of recourse and if it's worth it and all this stuff. But... Um, you know, more on that later, you know, people who talk about suing generally don't do it. So, you know, if I go silent on it, well then. <laughs> uh, so last night, uh, I would say about a dozen or more YouTube channels were hit with copy, I'm sorry, privacy strikes or privacy complaints in an extremely coordinated manner. I would say the number of complaints that were issued were uh, very, uh, if you, we want to include timestamps was probably between Oh, 50 and 100 different individual complaints, multiple timelines, well-filled out paperwork. Eliza Blue, in my opinion, clearly hired somebody to, uh, you know, privacy troll uh, all the YouTubers covering this video that <clears throat> she really doesn't want you to know about. Uh, so I took care of the necessary legal paperwork this morning, and uh, I just want to let you know I will not be taking down any of these six videos or seven videos that she tried to strike down and I am fighting them through the appropriate legal channels, and I will not back down. A tweet last night from Eliza Bleh. I love you all so much. I'm standing right here in pure love. You don't need to love me back. I'm not going anywhere if you change your mind. I'm not going anywhere if you change your mind. I'm still, I'm still be standing here in love. Of course, we saw her use a well-known uh, tactic to try and convince, oh, by the way, I got, and then, you know, minutes later, I got YouTube legal support complaints filling up my inbox. I think it was close to a dozen or 15 different things that I had to deal with all morning. Uh, it was not fun, but let me explain the, the TLDR in like the 60 second version, okay? This woman claimed to be, uh, have terrible things happen to her in her youth. Many people around her Friends that knew her, people who have looked at data, timelines, things like that, have found contradictions. And there's a lot in question on some of the things she said. Like she said she used to sleep on the floor because um, she was on the on the on the fault line between two gangs who battled it out. Her friend then said, no, they lived in a highly affluent, uh, overwhelmingly white, uh, upper class neighborhood. That never happened. So there's all sorts of whoppers that she's told over the years that have been getting debunked. There's this one random video. It was like world star hip hop, whatever. I forget, I'm even forgetting what it is now. Eliza knows or something like that or whatever. And it was to the artist Q-Tip. And it's like a low budget, you know, rap video. It looked like exactly what you would expect. And she went panic mode and abused her connections in my opinion at Twitter to strike down a bunch of Twitter accounts for posting the picture. Then, she started flagging down that video, just that video. And many people have speculated, maybe it kind of blows up her whole timeline because it's curious, there's a half a dozen other videos out there that are still live that she has not flagged down. Now, maybe she's in the process or maybe she tried to and they figured out, hey, I'm gonna submit a counterclaim. The only reason she got the World Star video, the one World Star video taken down, is because it was on a seven-year-old channel <clears throat> that probably was abandoned. So they never saw the email. And if you don't respond in the, in, the, in the appropriate way to these legal requests, they just take the video down. So it was not, I don't think they lost the appeal. I think that they just never saw it. Now, again, so there's just this one video. However, here is the chief, chief operations officer at World Star Hip Hop saying she was paid for this video and we own full rights. Everyone, anything further can be addressed by legal. So she was taking down a video that she was paid for. She did willingly, right? Uh, there's privacy complaints. This is a notify you that we have a privacy complaint. You get a link to a YouTube video and then a timestamp. Um, and they're all pictures of this particular music video which again, still is live all over the internet right now. It was live at the time she got it struck down. What she's trying to do is rewrite history by taking the video down, then retroactively, not retroactively, yes, retroactively in a way, 
pretending that the video had always been down and then issuing these privacy complaints through some sort of legal team or PR company. It's extremely unlikely that you issue 100 claims within an hour of each other, um, which is how it happened. Middle of the night, you know, I think the high, you know, highly, um, they even, they even found my podcast channel. Okay. So I have a podcast channel. A lot of people say, by the way, like, you know, fun fact, a lot of people think, see Quartercast and they're like, bro, this person's stealing your content. No, actually, I have a channel called Quartercast and it's all of yesterday's videos kind of like having the ads removed and the intros and outros removed. So it's for people that just want to get caught up on all yesterday's news and just listen. And this is also the same audio feed. So I upload all of yesterday's news every morning to uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes. You can find me all there. So a lot of people don't actually know that. But yes, the Quartercast is mine. And I use this channel for uh, just you know putting the summary video. So anyway, they found this like tiny channel and flagged a bunch of videos on that channel. Um, again, this is somebody who I reported on uh, during the initial Eliza Blue Files uh, that you know this video was consensual. It was archived. She had done interviews saying she was excited about it. She uh, had in multiple interviews talking about how it was another piece of the puzzle, all sorts of stuff like that, calling her mom, saying she's excited to be doing this work. It was all hilarious. Um, you know, it was all very, you know, it'll be a slam dunk in court, like a slam dunk 360 from the free throw line. Actually, no, it'd be a layup. Wouldn't even be a, it would just be so incredibly easy. And like, but things started escalating then, right? So she took down a bunch of videos. She got a bunch of people locked out on Twitter. She had me locked out for something like 10 days. Brittany Venti is still locked out as far as I know. There are other creators that are still locked out of Twitter, um, over this claim that, the image was released without her permission, like it was, you know, a revenge imagery or something like that. But that's simply not true. I've already proven that. The video had been up on YouTube for six years with no complaints. Only now did she seem to care about it. It's very, very, very curious. And a lot of people who are sick of this, you know, are, are saying like, hey, enough is enough. Maybe it's time to take this person to court, tortious interference. Um, you know, this, this kind of behavior to me strikes, you know, it smacks of somebody who's never really faced any real world consequences. And sometimes those people need to learn some real world consequences. This is somebody who seems to have their family financially supporting them even now in their forties. Uh, and they have like politicians and you know, all this kind of you know, dad's a politician probably never really face any real consequences. There's a few mug shots out there or whatever, but um, you know, I think that when you're locking people out of their Twitter account, you know, for a full week leading up to my Valentine's Day gift boxes when I would have been selling them, I couldn't sell them from Twitter. That's a lot of money that my company lost, Eliza. Um, striking down my videos. Now, if if for whatever reason YouTube takes these videos down, you're talking about a lot of money. Um, you're talking about all the time it took me hours this morning to respond to all these complaints. Uh, you know, and I pay myself very well. So, and then you multiply that times the 10 other creators, 15, 20 other creators, you like literally have a class action against this person who's clearly using their connections inside of Twitter. You know, to recap, this person used their connections inside of Twitter to get to work with trust and safety to seemingly rewrite the rules in real time to justify locking multiple accounts, huge accounts. Brittany Venti started it with her first. She was the first to be locked, as far as I know. Um, then my account got locked. Then, uh, you know, that's uh, Yellow Flash, I think. There, there's so many. It's insane. And, you know, ultimately, you're talking about taking away creators, reporters, users' ability to use the service. And in my case, too, you know, I'm a Twitter blue payer. So I, you took away my ability to use the service that I'm paying for. How many other people did you do that to? You know, what, that all starts to add up to a lot of money. Uh, and also, you know, defending yourself in court is very expensive. So there, there's a lot, you know, going on here with somebody who, you know, if you read this Daily Beast article, own her own friends call her completely unreliable, a liar, and outright uh, debunk multiple of the, you know, wild stories she's told about her past. 
how she's in, inserted herself into this, um, you know, uh, this Andrew Tate case, but having a non representing anonymous people. I'm starting to think there are none of them. Uh, in fact, I heard through the grapevine that at least one of these people that she's claiming represents them doesn't want anything to do with her, but she, you know, can't say anything publicly because, you know, that would be bad, you know, the backlash and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, this, you know, and look, you know, it'll be nice when it kind of flips over to Saturday on this social blade list. You can see, you know, she's losing right now an average of 331 follower, followers a day. She's lost 10,000 roughly, and it's going down even more. Now with these privacy complaints, it's going to be a whole new uh, ball of wax. And we're talking about, you know, people are talking about getting legal with this. People are sick of being pushed around by this woman, and I don't blame them. Make sure if you haven't that you click that like button on this video, you subscribe down below, and then you turn notifications on because this is about to get pretty hairy. And uh, you, you know, I know it seems some people are calling it drama, but it's not. It's about um, somebody seemingly abusing systems at Twitter and at YouTube now um, successfully. This is a major problem. Um, and uh, I'm gonna continue to cover it on this channel as long as you'll have me. It's rare, it seems like it's been rare that uh, Twitter's been uh, viewed in a positive light, especially with everything going on with trust and safety, people losing faith in uh, Elon Musk's ability to remain um, committed to free speech, and basically the general feeling that not much has changed, that the shadow bans, all the stuff still exists, hasn't been removed. Now, Elon would tell you it's because they don't know how yet without breaking the whole Jenga tower, but... I think people are getting a little bit like impatient with that. And I completely understand, but I'm still rooting for Elon Musk. I'm still rooting for Twitter to be a free speech, um, a, a, you know, more available to free speech. We've seen certain, you know, platforms like YouTube, for example, take down uh, those, um, the, uh, the drug company videos, right? That they get super, they went super viral, 20, 30, 40 million views or whatever on Twitter. Well, YouTube took it down, and I'm sure Facebook probably did. I don't know if they did or didn't, I guess, but I mean, it's safe to assume. So Twitter is still the closest thing in big tech to free speech. And he made a big announcement today, actually several of them. Uh, first of all, Elon Musk will now share Twitter ad revenue with creators. Now he's saying it's only for creators who are paying for Twitter Blue, which I guess I get, but it's weird because, I mean, this is like the first step to monetizing for creators, uh, which would be great. Obviously we saw YouTube just, you know, roll out their, um, the shorts pay, which is hilariously small, but it's still a thing. And it's easier to get a lot bigger views on shorts. Like most of my popular, my most popular videos last month were like the top 10, seven of them were shorts. Um, so you stack up a lot of views there. So it kind of offsets, but you know, I think this is a huge, uh, bonus. And I think it, it's beneficial, not just for content creators. It says currently subscribing to blue will cost you $8 a month. If acquired directly via its site or $11 a month from Apple's app store, or Google play, the cheapest version is annual subscription directly from Twitter for $84. It's unclear how many viral tweets it would take to pay that off, but it could be difficult given Twitter's rocky relationship with advertisers right now. Again, the media just continues to still lie about this. The, I mean, they just signed a, a massive deal. In fact, I'll just, let me go over that because it's a thing I wasn't talking about later in the video, but like, it isn't that Rocky. Like the dude just closed a deal, huge NFL advertising deal. Twitter Inc. is leveraging the most important night of the year to help it win back a long list of advertisers that ditched the social media platform after Elon's takeover. The San Francisco-based company has been ramping up its Super Bowl pitch to advertisers offering last-minute deals on one of its most high-profile big-game ad packages. According to an email viewed by the Wall Street Journal, it's also telling advertisers that the number of conversations on its platform about the Super Bowl and National Football League is up significantly from a year earlier according to other emails sent to advertisers and ad agencies. The gridiron matchup might be Twitter's best shot yet to persuade advertisers to return to the platform 
because it's one of the few times of the year that brands depend heavily on Twitter to help generate buzz. Several brands are thinking about returning to the platform thanks in part to the Super Bowl cheaper ad rates and the release of a new tool that actually allows advertisers to create a list of up to a thousand keywords to avoid having their ads appear above or below tweets containing those words. Extremely powerful tool. Um, you know, I would target ads that include the word, for example, coffee, or you know, looking for a new coffee, order coffee, online coffee, this kind of stuff. Um, but expanding the negative keyword list is extremely powerful. And I think it, it helps brands like, okay, think of a thousand words that you don't want your ads. You know, you could think of like 20, maybe, you know, the kind of the curse words, and then you could pick like 980 other topics or, for, you know, and you can also, I'm sure, exclude actual Twitter handles and stuff like that. Twitter recently began offering a three-day Super Bowl weekend ad package for $250,000. The deal... The uh, deal the company called a fire sale, according to one of the emails <clears throat> viewed by the journal. The email, which was pushing a newly added Super Bowl ad package that allows advertisers to run video ads ahead of NFL highlight clips, offered to match up to $250,000 in free ad space. Man, coffee brand? Co I don't think it would work. I don't, I don't think I could sell enough coffee to make that worth it, but... You know, it's essentially a 50% off, right? So many advertisers, including Pfizer, United Airlines, General Motors, paused Twitter ad spending after Musk took over in October. Some advertisers had concerns about his approach to advertising, blah, 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 blah. Um, more than 70 of Twitter's top 100 spenders from before Mr. Musk's takeover weren't spending on the platform in the week ending January 29th. Again, that's big money. But you can only ignore the massive market that Twitter represents for so long. And the fact that they have, you know, they score these deals. You see, Twitter scores huge Super Bowl deals with major advertisers committing to spend millions. Those deals include, uh, these deals include major deals with Pepsi, Anheuser-Busch, and more. Super appreciate support of the NFL and major advertisers. Congrats to the Twitter team. And what's going to happen is they're going to get, you know, probably better than average return on the investment because they're going to be paying half. You know, like they're going to have half as much uh, to deal with. Or I'll be sorry, they'll be, they'll be paying half and they'll also be a ton more traffic. So I think a lot of people will uh, definitely come back to the platform. And even if they have to maintain these discounted rates, I mean, it's better it, the, the 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 presumption is they were making money or they're ROI positive before they left Twitter. Obviously, they wouldn't be there if they were losing a ton of money. So now that they get the same access at a much cheaper price, <clears throat> I assume that's a way for them to come back and be reminded that you know Twitter is a positive place for their brand. And you know it's not what the mainstream media keeps saying. You know, it's also you see <clears throat> Democrats and Republicans now equally trust Twitter under Elon Musk. Essentially, Republicans trust increased, Democrats decreased, and now there's at the same inflection point or at the same point. So, I mean, I think, you know, you have uh, a lot. I mean, getting these advertisers returning to the platform is a huge W, I think. You see, Twitter is set to share all ad revenue with creators, censorship, <laughs> MSM, and then hopefully YouTube even reply to this more to come on this front. This is the paying creators. Twitter needs to be where a creator is most highly rewarded for their time and talent. Well, that's going to be extremely difficult to do when you're competing against TikTok and even YouTube shorts now, which I think people really felt like, oh, YouTube shorts isn't going to be a thing. And then it's just a thing now, like it or not. You may not watch them, but I can tell you, you know, my channel even though they don't pay anything and they didn't start paying until November and it's still really, really sad. It was better than nothing. I use them to get new subscribers. I don't care about the money. Um, you build the brand and then maybe you, maybe these are people that can maybe buy my coffee or maybe they support meta PCs or they, you know, what are the cases? So, you know, it's all, it's all high value to do that. And if Twitter became, you know, a place of actual ROI instead of being, you know, wildly ROI negative, because it's just, such a time suck and there's very little like you know good that comes out of it that would be an absolute game changer 
especially for even like, you know, really anybody. Because if you're a new content creator, for example, you know, starting out on YouTube, BitChute, Odyssey, or Rumble is daunting. It's still, a, there's still a huge barrier to entry. The smallest barrier to entry seems to be Twitter. You know, literally anybody can go viral at any moment and build huge followings. Um, and if even if you're like a mid-level creator on some platform, the opportunity to earn a few more bucks to be on Twitter, or if Twitter's actually like legitimately the best, I just think that's an obvious win. You know, I think that that's, that's going to be a huge thing for Elon. So, you know, bringing out, you know, ad revenue, I, I guess I get why they would say you have to be a Twitter blue member. I think that's still kind of, why would it just give it to everybody? I suppose. Um, I think this is probably the first step to having ad revenue for essentially YouTubers and, and short creators, TikTok, Instagram reels. That's what he wants. He wants them to be publishing their content on Twitter. And if he can share revenue, he'll attract massive creators. Um, and it'll create an opportunity for smaller creators to uh, get some eyeballs on their content. All the time I see random videos that are just stolen from TikTok going super viral on Twitter. And it's like, well, what if that original creator had a, had a way to monetize their content? It would have been on Twitter first. It might have been on Twitter first. I think that's what Elon's hoping to do. And, you know, I 100% support that. So, you know, I still think even with the recent sadness that Twitter is our best, you know, it still has a bright future if Elon can kind of recommit here to, you know, freedom of speech and not having his credibility questioned, um, you know, by having still questionable people in trust and safety and things of that nature. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out, but I think it's still a big win for Twitter and a big win for Elon. And as a creator, I'm definitely um, excited with the direction that it's going and hope that it continues to open up more avenues for more creators. Um, and I'm a big fan of, of more content, not less. It's interesting now, now that, you know, the Daily Beast wrote their article, just how many additional articles are coming out now. Things are going to be very, very rough over the next week or so. And this is a thing, this is a case where many of my viewers are even like, <coughs> excuse me, bro, we're done with this. And then she goes and does something insane, like issuing complaints, strikes, or, you know, um, copyright privacy complaints against you know, two dozen YouTubers, all that's going to do is make more people talk about it, which at this point, one must assume she wants, except, uh, you know, the price for talking about it is uh, extremely high. Um, you know, she's been losing an average of 330 subscribers. I'm sorry, Twitter followers a day, but the real number over the past week is like well into the, you know, 1500 to 2000. Um, and, you know, anytime you refresh it, she's losing two, three, 400 more and the ones that are there are absolutely crushing, uh, you know, just just like blasting her in the comments. Uh, so, you know, I think this is getting much, much worse. Um, and, you know, that's not a good thing. There's been a bunch of new articles that have come out and it's kind of, you know, this waterfall effect now. You know, eventually Tim Pool might actually cover it, but... You see, starts sites like Sportskedia wrote a massive attempt at a cover-up. Eliza Blue, uh, her story scandal explained um, as you know the music video goes viral. Then you have obviously the crushing Daily Beast article, which the day you know that came out, she just happened to go private on Twitter because you know reasons. Uh, and you're even starting to get this is from Unheard. Dot com. <clears throat> What's the truth about Eliza Blue? And does it even matter? Meet Eliza Blue, nay Morthland, the first fallen hashtag girl boss of 2023. The internet personality and anti-trafficking advocate burst onto the Twitter scene around the time of Elon Musk's takeover. She was obviously a big fan of the Bird app's new CEO, and he seemed to trust her. Blue's tweets about censorship, she's opposed. Um, and you know, bad material on Twitter, which she suggested was rampant on Twitter under a previous regime on multiple occasions. 
She implied that she was working closely with Twitter's new trust and safety team to ban popular hashtags used for trading this kind of content. The extent of her role, though, has recently been called into question because her narrative as a survivor is completely falling apart. I mean, these, and there's just more and more and more and more and more articles coming out. And like, even The Hill, we'll get to that in a second, like even The Hill starting to cover it. You know, I wish that they were covering this because they cared about censorship. I'm not saying about The Hill, but in general, <clears throat> I think people see it as a way tangentially to um, dig Elon Musk or get after Elon Musk, which, you know, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish people actually cared about, hey, this chick seems to have some kind of direct line to uh, Twitter's trust and safety, and she's using that to silence people, to censor people, to lock people out of their accounts. Um, and now she's trying to do the same thing on YouTube. Yeah, I wish that's why they were doing it, but I think, I guess I'll settle for, hey, at least they're covering it and not taking a bunch of super chats to not cover it. Lou publicly shared her story for the first time in a podcast in September of 2020, where she recounted a sheltered upbringing from Illinois, therefore a rebellious phrase, when she met a photographer who lured her to LA, lured her to LA, blah, 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 blah. The hazy nature of the story and the existence of several different aliases raised questions about Blue's past. Last week, YouTuber Brittany Venti, shout out Brittany, apparently found a rap video featuring uh, Blue and asked if she'd ever discussed the performance in the context of her story. She tweeted a photo still from the video, which had been publicly available on YouTube since 2016. Hey, shout out to the author of this article. Um, for a survivor to perform in this kind of spicy video shortly after breaking away from the captors is confounding. But so was the path towards recovery, and perhaps she didn't want to be judged. But when Venti's account was suspended for sharing the image, fans called out the erstwhile free speech advocate's hypocrisy, as well as the apparent abuse of her connections to higher up at Twitter, who issued, hey, shout out, this article is really good, who issued bizarre justifications for the suspensions. Later that day, Blue announced that the video included private images that were taken without her uh, consent, broadly implying that she had been coerced into that performing. Of course, we know that seems extremely unlikely because <clears throat> there's a mountain of evidence that she's like celebrating being in these videos, right? Few people ask any questions at all, of course, because that's another thing we've learned from this kind of trauma is that victims are often blamed, shamed, and denied their experience. We know how important it is to be believed, so we don't question people who come forward with these harrowing tales. During a chilling exchange on Timcast last year, Blue herself raises the possibility that her story was all fabrication and asks why it would even matter. She wasn't being mean to people. She wasn't asking for money from people. She managed to raise national awareness about trafficking, particularly in big tech. In a sense, she's right. Blue has won awards for her activism. Her brash personality and tireless promotion have certainly brought her cause to the fore. Does it matter if her work was driven by vanity or built on lies? Of course it does. And, you know, I think to imply, I don't think this article is making that implication, by the way, but like to imply she's not financially benefiting from this is also absurd because let's say no money change hands. I don't know where this people keep mentioning some sort of custom Tesla she has. I've never seen that, but let's say that's, you know, so I can't confirm that, but let's say there's, you know, who's flying her around going, bringing her to Miami, bringing her to California, bringing her to Timcast. All of this is based on her being who she says she is. So she is certainly benefiting from that. She gained 170,000 Twitter followers in November and December. That's monetizable following that you could, I don't know, sell your delicious coffee to or sell your, you know, promote a sponsor meta PCs to, right? So you are getting paid in clout and reach and connections. And, and maybe if it's not in hard greenbacks, right? Um, you're still accepting payment, you know, and you're building a, an empire that you can then monetize later. So I think even the Hill, by the way, the Hill wrote, who is Eliza Blue and, you know, scrutinized by former allies. <clears throat> this is pretty weak sauce. I'm, I'm told it wasn't very, you know, a very good deep dive. But if the Hill's covering it, that's good. And then we have Unheard today. We had Daily Beast yesterday, Sportskedia, 
which I think was, what, today? Now, it's Friday, right? And you would think, boy, if you just don't do anything or say anything, it'll go away by Monday. And it's it might still. But if she keeps striking people, if she keeps, you know, this facade, instead of just coming out and saying, you know, I mean, it's like there's so many crazy lies. Like, here's a picture that's floating around, right? Um, she made a whole lie about she doesn't have Wi-Fi, and there's a Wi-Fi router right behind her. And also, you know, any cell phone, you can turn into a wireless router, too. So, like, you know, this just, like, everything this woman has, everything that's come out of this woman's mouth has been suspect at best, and many of it being completely debunked, lying about, oh, I don't have Wi-Fi. What is this? You know, I just, I don't, it's, it's getting so hilarious. Now you're going to start to see, I think, even more kind of big media outlets covering up on this, picking up on this, because it's Friday. Could be interesting now that these YouTube strikes, if there's a lawsuit that happens, because, you know, she did privacy complaints against a lot of lawyers. You know, for me to bring a suit, be very expensive. For a lawyer to do it, you're just really eating up their free time. So, you know, I know that she got what, un, un, uncivil law, I think it was. Sorry if I got that wrong. You know, there were, you know, several people that were, you know, gotten. Well, how many of these lawyers that, you know, did you go after that are just going to say, hey, you know what? I got nothing going on this weekend. I'll just file a lawsuit that's going to cost a bunch of money for you to defend yourself. And oh, by the way, she should lose it because she's, you know, taking advantage of the YouTube system. I spent, um, you know, all morning dealing with the legal stuff of disputing all these spurious claims. That costs money, right? I have a call with a lawyer. That costs money. All money that somebody's responsible for. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see in court what her DMs look like between. Allergy Irwin, maybe even Elon Musk. This kind of stuff would be part of discovery. It sure would be interesting to see if there were any panic messages about banning users, banning accounts who were posting pictures, because it seemed like within minutes sometime, sometimes accounts were getting locked. There's no way, no way that she went and manually submitted a complaint, then somebody at Twitter saw it, and then it got taken down in a matter of minutes. They didn't even look at my appeal for over a week. Okay, so I don't believe that. I believe that DMs were sent. I believe that there were direct lines of communication used. And I sure would be interested to see all that in court. This is kind of a big one on a late Friday. I guess I'm getting to it a little late, but I'm, I'm really happy to be able to cover it and happy to, you know, it's a, anytime we cover the this particular company, no matter how much I dance around it, YouTube uh, seems to find it and, you know, demonetize it and deboost it. So I appreciate everyone always sharing in these particular, these like kind of expose videos to Twitter uh, and Facebook and stuff like that, because, you know, the story's got to get out there. So uh january 27th about a week ago um uh pv uploaded a, a, a kind of a super big deal video where a particular employee of a very large drug company was saying some wild stuff wild stuff about their product and how allegedly they may be um creating a problem for for mankind in order to sell us a solution and that is allegedly you know, changing um, the coof into other forms and then generating a pro uh, product to fix that. Real dark, real evil stuff. So on tape, context, no context required. The guy says it out there right out loud. Um, so they upload the video. Now, the video gets tens of millions of views on YouTube. Tens of millions. I'm sorry, on Twitter. Which for all of Twitter's problems, you know, with free speech lately... I think that it's it's pretty curious. Um, it's pretty curious that YouTube video only had like 800,000 views at the time that YouTube removed it. But YouTube removed uh, their initial video due to a uh, viol violation of the community guidelines. 
here's the link where it used to be video has been removed and they achieved a strike. Now it was a little, you know, as of there are probably very few people more dialed into dancing around and not saying violative stuff than me on this platform. It's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird, uh, <laughs> skill, but I've developed it over the years. They did have like a weird little claim that, you know, was odd, uh, that would have violated, certainly would have violated it. But rumble, for example, has the very same video up from eight days ago. And I guess I don't know. It's got 662,000 views on rumble, which is incredible given, um, uh, you know, it had 800,000 on YouTube at the time they took it down. So it certainly would have been a couple million by now, but like shout out rumble rumble's really doing a lot. I mean, look at Friday night tights is live on rumble right now. They've had 3000 people watching them. That's awesome. Like rumble is real. Rumble is legit. Um, and, uh, it's because of stuff like this, right? Because YouTube does this kind of stuff. So then today, February 3rd, they uploaded a new video, which is the a senior reporter for PV uh, confronted the YouTube vice president and global head of trust and safety. Yikes. This is like their, their Yol Roth, right? They find the guy on the street. Looks like he's out for a jog in the early morning hours and they were waiting for him. And... Well, they had a lot of interesting questions to ask, including how much money does that particular drug company spend with YouTube on advertising um, and a wide variety of other questions. But now I don't know if I can actually play clips for you. So I'm going to have to relay it because three hours ago, Facebook and Instagram have just removed their video confronting YouTube's vice president of trust and safety, saying it was a quote, violation of community standards on privacy and have threatened to restrict and disable our accounts. This is what I'm talking about with, you know, all the problems with Twitter here, the video is, and it's got 650,000 views. Um, I'm sure it's doing well on rumble too. This is why, you know, I have a rumble channel. You're, you might be watching a rumble right now or odyssey or, um, Bitchute. Uh, you know, all these platforms are important. And so I try to go the extra mile to make sure my content's available on all of them. Lord knows there'll be a day, I'm sure, where these are the only platforms that I can even upload to. So they have this post goes against our community standards. No one else can see your post. Um, but what? What community standards? We don't allow content that could lead to identity theft or might put someone at risk. So essentially what they're saying is, so government IDs, no. Bank accounts, no. Phone numbers and addresses, this is what it probably was. Email addresses and passwords. So in the video, uh, you just look at my beautiful face here for a minute. So in this video, they show up in his neighborhood, which is probably why they might say, oh, people could figure out where the guy lives. Um, lots of really interesting questions. Um, I'm sure that he was just out for his morning jog and, you know, some people might have a shred of sympathy left, but with what we've found out through like the Twitter files and how all of these people seemingly work for the government or were working directly with the government to infringe on Americans first amendment rights, I've got a lot less sympathy for the individuals. Um, and so there's, you know, a, a situation going on here. I won't that, show it. Christian Hartsock, project Veritas. Why did you ban his, his, when he says this, he goes, <sighs> like he just knows. And our videotape of a Pfizer director talking about mutating viruses. Don't tell anyone what's going on. You tell Matt, you're the global head of trust and safety at YouTube. Why don't you trust the public with a matter that absolutely concerns their safety? None of these people ever talk, right? So I'm not showing the video so that it's not, uh, you know, he's walking next to him. It looks in the very early morning hours or in dusk. Matt, millions of people are going to see this videotape and they're going to see your cowardice 
They're going to see your absolute contempt for the public trust, and they're going to see your absolute disregard for public safety. Mm. Are you sure this is how you wish to portray yourself? Savage. Matt, be brave. Say something. It is weird that he just doesn't say anything at all. Like, what do you mean? Like, why? Just, you can't even, you know, he's so afraid of getting sued or what? How much ad revenue does YouTube take in from Pfizer? Ooh, How much was at stake? That's a pretty big question, isn't it? And, and so, you know, the implication here is that someone, maybe they spend, when you spend this kind of money, you get somebody on the line on the other. I generate, you know, YouTubers with millions of subscribers can't get someone on a YouTube on the phone, even though we generate all the money for them. It seems like, but it's really coming from the advertisers. They can get people on the phone. And so I think the implication here is like, well, did somebody at Pfizer pick up the phone and say, bro, like you got to get rid of this video. It looks very bad for us. It's hurting our stock price. This kind of stuff. A Pfizer director talk. So like, you know, he doesn't want the American public to know. And then James O'Keefe. Our Pfizer expose. YouTube gave us a strike and will not let us post for a week. I don't Why even not? Do you have any ethical responsibility to the American people, to the world? <laughs> this Why guy. does the public not deserve to see that videotape? Uh, you touched me. Uh-oh. That's not something you want to do. Is that a threat? Are you threatening me? Is the, is the global head of trust and safety threatening me? No, I just said I'd call the police if you, if you accost me. Well, I, I'm, I, I didn't touch you, Matt. Uh, yes, you did. Matt Halperin, Global Head of Trust and Safety, brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> so if you heard what was going on there, he did threaten him. Now, maybe the threat was that he would call police. That's fine. Look, I don't care. You know, at some point, a man's a man. If you're pushing up on him, he's going to react. So like, I don't really, I'm not concerned about that reaction. But what's interesting is, you know, again, Given what we know about the Twitter files, I think it's safe to assume there are multiple ex-intelligence community people that work for YouTube. They certainly work in huge numbers for Facebook and did at Twitter and probably still do. So, you know, ultimately, uh, you have a situation here where uh, you don't really know who's pulling the strings at YouTube. And when YouTube then seems to act in the... See, there was one line. What, what YouTube basically is saying here is like, They'll let it exist on their platform, but you better be the squeakiest clean as you possibly can. Otherwise, they're gonna take the video down. And they did make a small tactical error, and uh, but it's like YouTube could have just said, "Hey, chop this out," or you know, or something like that. Hey, they're big enough; they've got you know, they could just say, "Hey, like chop." No, no, that's not what they did. They struck down the video and they banned reuploads. So uh, I don't really, you know, the guys, the VP. Uh, of uh, of uh, you know their trust and safety or whatever the head of YouTube's trust and safety. That's a fair question to ask. Some interesting news around Hogwarts Legacy, which comes out uh, in a week, I believe. Um, Early access for people that um, paid for the deluxe version, I think, starts on February 7th, which is early next week. But for the rest of uh, everyone out there, I believe it's February 10th. Uh, and this game has a petition with over a million signatures about, you know, over a million signatures boycotting the game. Twitter has been endlessly haranguing J.K. Rowling. Uh, going directly after her, sending just you know terrible things um, to her. Um, everybody in the game in games media has been ignoring the game, or when they cover it, saying that it's literally the worst thing on the planet if you play the game. So you would think, you know, with all of that Twitter outrage and all those game journalists, certainly they would have made a dent in sales. Except as of yesterday, Hogwarts Legacy is the best-selling game on the PS5, Xbox Series X, and PC pre-order pre-launch. And there's still a whole nother week of hype, 
Plus, if the game's actually good, people, more people will buy it. Every time most of these game journalists have been covering, you know, Hogwarts Legacy, they want, see, here's the thing. This, the industry is, is crumbling. They've been replaced uh, by YouTubers and TikTokers, like, easily, like, significantly. They, they've done it, you know, they've, they basically started losing market share five years ago, and now they've basically lost everything. So they really can't afford to not cover what is potentially the biggest game of the year. At least it's the biggest game of the year so far. But they cover it, and then they'll say, oh, yeah, but transphobia. Or, like, um, here's all this interesting stuff about about Hogwarts Legacy if you want to be a turf and play it. So there's all sorts of, like, just sad cope that goes on with them that, you know, I love. You know, we'll look at the, we'll look at the sales numbers in a minute. But it also, you know, the game comes out at a, at a time which it perhaps could be uh, being boosted by. But, like, doesn't it feel... Although there was that game, what is it, High, High Rush or something people said is really good. But th there really hasn't been any big game, big hype games in feels like forever, right? Even getting hyped for like Call of Duty games is not that big a deal because you get a new one every year. Hogwarts Legacy is a game uh, being put up by WB Games that is the first kind of game that you really started seeing people get pretty excited for, pretty amped up uh, to, to buy, people pre-ordering it. I don't think people should pre-order the game to own the libs. I mean, I did, but I guess in a moment of solidarity. But you should wait, you know, to see if the game's actually any good. That's kind of important. I think what we've seen from the gameplay, the final trailer that just came out and all this stuff, is it looks really good. Um, and it's got a ton of gameplay for the money. So I think that that's a good thing. But you, you And this is with, I guess what's what I think is funny or you know kind of awesome about this, is this is in spite of the entire weight of Twitter and gaming journalism going against it. The entirety of Twitter going against it. A million losers signing a petition. A million people plus, and that's from two months ago. You know, and I think that all these people think that they're owning JK Rowling, but it's irrelevant. Many of them weren't going to buy the game anyway. It's super easy to boycott lettuce for a guy like me, or like boycott broccoli, because I'm not really interested in the first place. So a lot of these weirdos that get on these boycott things, they were never customers. First of all, they're never customers in the first place. We know this with like online cancel culture. They're like, oh, I've been a customer. It's like somebody that tells me, you know, oh, you never talk about X or Y anymore. You All you do is talk about, and I did like a video the other day, like a day before, and they're like, I, you've changed, man. I'm unsubscribing. I'm like, you don't even watch my videos. It, it's the same thing with these boycotts online. Like most of these people... They're either going to buy it anyway, or they weren't going to buy it in the first place. They just want to be a part of something. And you can look at the Hogwarts Legacy boycott efforts. And by the way, what did J.K. Rowling do to deserve this said, bo said boycott? Simply say that women are real and, you know, and wants to protect women's only spaces. That's it. She's never said anything like extraordinarily um, volatile. She just says, hey, women... Our women and men are men and we should have separate spaces for each other. And that, I think that's a hundred percent fine. I think that she enjoys stirring up controversy. Twitter talked yesterday about, you know, Twitter was saying, Oh, the wizarding world is revenues down 40%. Well, they haven't released anything. The only thing that they really have released is, um, uh, terrible, fantastic beast series. So nobody wants that. Nobody's going to theme parks anymore. Well, I guess people do, but you know, there just really hasn't been a lot of IP for people to spend their money on. Well, I'm predicting that there's going to be a lot of money spent on this IP all over, you know, JK Rowling believing that women are women. And when you look at a lot of this stuff, so as of yesterday, even in a year that is supposed to produce a larger than usual number of video game blockbusters. Yes, I really hope so, because it felt like last year was so stale. Hogwarts Le Legacy looks like it might top all of its competitors. Its freedom as a multi-platform release combined with the continued strength of the Harry Potter IP, even in the face of the controversy, 
means that if Hogwarts Legacy delivers, it will be a monster. Early and early pre-sales are already indicating that no matter what reviews say next week, initial sales are going to be enormous. Hogwarts Legacy was starting to top sales charts in a few places as early as a full month ago. But the way things currently stand today, just over a week before release, you have Hogwarts Legacy as the top earning game on Steam, even higher than CSGO's microtransactions that annually released highly praised and, uh, and the actually released highly praised Dead Space remake. I heard that game's really good. I, I feel like I maybe I played the original. I don't have any affinity for it, but people seem to like it, so that's always good to hear. Hogwarts Legacy is the best-selling game on Epic Store over Dead Space and Borderlands 3 that's on a 90% off sale for $7. On Amazon, the deluxe and regular editions of Hogwarts Legacy are number one and number two selling best games on PS5. And on Amazon, two deluxe editions of regular editions and the regular edition of Hogwarts Legacy are the number one, two, and three top selling game on Xbox. Reportedly, reviews for Hogwarts Legacy are supposed to drop next Monday on February 6th. They could be absolutely terrible, though the early previews have not been. But there are so many pre-sales at this point, it would be a cyberpunk situation where the game is simply so hyped it sold 13 million copies in the first three weeks, despite being fundamentally broken on many platforms. I am not expecting a similar meltdown here, but the point is the game's going to be colossal. Um, as ever, it's important to report on Hogwarts Legacy without mentioning, yeah, see, they just can't help it. They're, most of these writers, you know, these like video game writers, they really just want to be writing about politics. He writes, as ever, it's important to report on Hogwarts Legacy. It's without mentioning the very public culture war that's going on about the game. For some people, believe buying the game supports the anti-trans views of Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling. <sighs> They're not anti-trans. They're just... You know, women are women. Why is that? Why is that such a weird thing? Um, and then, while others tend to be spite buying the game to upset the other crowd, what's clear already, however, is this game debate will have no meaningful impact on sales one way or another, and many buyers are unlikely unaware of its existence at all. They see an open-world Harry Potter game that looks good, the first one in over two decades since the book series was released. That's what's driving this. It's pretty simple. And you see even here, there's no culture war around this game. It's a small internet bubble that's very loud haters of J.K. Rowling. The general public doesn't know or care at all what she thinks, and it will have absolutely no impact on sales of Hogwarts Legacy. Instead of pounding the same J.K. Rowling drum forever, um, Harry Potter article, maybe bring up the actual real-world um, bad things that have happened at Ubisoft, ABK, and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're... Their um, petition was a million people petitioned could not stop this game from being a absolutely massive game. It's coming out in February. Everyone's got the itch, although we had Dead Space, which was you know reportedly very big. And then we had that was a Hi-Fi Rush or something. People said that game's pretty cool. Um, but like, there's no, there's nothing like. I mean, it's like there's nothing like a Harry Potter game or like a Lord of the Rings game or something. If you know, like. It's just, it's going to be huge, and uh, it just proves, again, that Twitter is not real. Well, uh, I normally take Saturdays off, or at least have in 2023, but I want to address something uh, that I guess I just found out. Uh, normally, I talk to Tim via Facebook Messenger, and then like a day or two ago, it said that he was offline. I was like, oh, maybe he's just taking some time off or whatever. I didn't even really think about it. Um, then I opened my Twitter this morning and I had been blocked by Tim Pool. And of course, <laughs> you know, that came as a, a shock to me, but maybe not really that shocking. And I want to address what I think it really is and perhaps what have all, what maybe has all led to it. And maybe, you know, hopefully it's just a miscommunication. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd call him if I had his phone number. I do not have his phone number. I'd email him if I had his email. I do not have his email. I don't really have any other way to get a hold of him other than Facebook messages, which is all we've ever used. Uh, so, and I can't DM him because he didn't follow me. 
And then I was like, wait, does he follow me? And then I'm like, oh, he blocked me. <laughs> so I, so uh, I think that this is a, a, you know, on the surface of a really weird look, but there are a lot of things that perhaps could have led up to this. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not mad at Tim. I, I really don't. This video is not like, go and subscribe from Tim. I just want to address, you know, because, you know, normally if a content creator blocked me or something, it might be good for a meme or two. But this is different because, you know, Tim and I share a huge audience. And I don't want you all to feel like you have to choose. I think you should watch whomever you wish. Um, and it's important. The most important thing in all of this to me in, in this video is that uh, the people that watch us both um, don't feel like I'm asking you to choose. I would never want that. Um, and, 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 and the people that watch me exclusively, you know, I would suspect that we have more than a 50% crossover. So, you know, I, I don't really want to turn this into a war or anything like that. I think I know why he did it. Um, but it's kind of a winding road to get there. So there's a lot of speculation. Um, and the, the top real kind of theories, um, which I think the real answer is everything combined. Spoiler alert. Uh, first let's talk about the... Eliza Blue stuff. Okay. Um, yes, I've been critical of Tim for not covering it, but I have also, in multiple occasions, both on podcasts and live streams and stuff like that, said, and if it if Tim didn't think it was clear before, allow me to say it now. I do not blame Tim Poole for having somebody on his show. Uh, I did a whole podcast with Sydney Watson about it. You know, I think that <clears throat> you can do a base level of research, but if you have guests every night, it's not like you're going to dig all the way into their past. And to be honest, even if she was a liar or a grifter, no one really cared until she started taking advantage of Twitter, advantage of Twitter systems to ban and silence critics and also then YouTube. Again, that's the issue here, and I want everyone to remember that. Yes, Eliza Blue appears to be just another grifter, Toss her in the pile with Jack Murphy and everyone else, okay? However, what I'm concerned about and what you're about to find a little bit more about on Monday or Tuesday is, you know, the tortious interference that happened between multiple people paying for Twitter Blue uh, and um, the apparent favoritism or systems that were taken advantage of inside of Twitter to quickly silence criticism um, and then the backpedaling that the vice president of trust and safety issued to seemingly recreate, reinvent the rules. Oh, Tim Pool's trending. Congratulations, Tim. Um, so that's what I'm mostly concerned about. Look, Tim is not a drama guy. He doesn't define drama the same way you or I might, but he doesn't talk about other creators very often. And, um, you know, we know that after Jack Murphy was able to, you know, build an $80,000 a month roughly business out of his viewership and he didn't say much about it, he certainly wasn't going to say anything about Eliza, who didn't really do any of those things. You know, I think somebody that uses, you know, a, a platform or a creator to extract money from their viewers, that's something that you have to probably address. If it's just you had a bad guest, whatever, it's whatever, you know. Um, I know Tim will watch this video. Hi, Tim. Um, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not always the most, um, articulate when it comes to things. And so, you know, maybe he was offended by some, some jokes I made or something like that. But again, let me be very clear. I don't blame Tim for quote unquote platforming a guest who was probably there in good faith. Um, it's, it's, you know, so, okay. So I've been clear about that. Now, the unending barrage of fans in his chat has certainly gotten to him. He made some sort of off the cuff mark last night that people remark that people sent to me. He's angry about getting spammed about Eliza blue. Um, I a hundred percent understand that it's been relentless for weeks, but where I think Tim is misplacing blame here is he must think that I've told them to do that. I've told you to do that, which of course I've never done. Um, and I think he also underestimates just how many viewers we share. You know, people that watch certain content on my channel, um, you know, you know, also watch him. And so they know about the situation. They want him to talk about it. Now, I can't speak for if those people, people said horrible things about him. 
his chat moves so fast because his show is so popular. I can't even keep up and read what's going on. Um, but you know, what I will say is, you know, if all, if all those super chats, you know, probably 10, $15,000 in super chats over the last week of people asking to talk about the story, if they really bothered you that much, then, you know, maybe you should refund that money. I, I just think, and this is coming from a premium grifter. Okay. Or at least make an announcement, like, please stop super chatting about a story that I'm not going to talk about and stop taking people's money for it. That's, you know, a, a criticism that might make you uncomfortable, but it's, a, I think it's, it's just from my heart. It's not a good look when you, when you're making thousands a night of people asking you to talk about a story and you don't even acknowledge it. Um, you know, it's funny for a night or two, but it's been weeks. I even told my viewers, please stop super chatting in money to ask him to talk about this. So, you know, at no point have I told people to barrage your chat. Um, in fact, I told people to stop super chatting you about it. Um, and again, Tim and others and Tim's viewers and stuff, let me be abundantly clear here and my viewers, please do not do this. It's been two weeks. He's not going to talk about it. And even if he does, if he does talk about it now, are you going to be satisfied? Probably not because it took two weeks of badgering and, and tens of thousands of dollars in super chats to even bother. Okay. So Tim, I'm sure you're mad that your chat has been unruly, but again, I didn't tell them to do that. I would not have endorsed that. I did not at any point say to do that. Um, so, you know, I'm sorry, but it, these are, are your viewers, bro. Pretty sure you have to be subscribed to chat maybe. These are your viewers. So I, I don't know. A lot of times my viewers want me to cover things that maybe I don't want to cover. I don't think is a big deal. But, you know, if they're begging me or busting my chops for days and days, I'm probably going to do it. Maybe I'm just less resolved than you. So, again, to recap, I never I don't blame Tim for having her on. Um, I don't condone people harassing him to cover a story that he clearly doesn't want to cover. I certainly don't condone giving the guy your money to demand he cover it. You know, a lot of people think it's like some he's he's trying to distance himself from coffee. I don't think that's the case. I've been nothing but supportive. I don't think that we're serving the same customer. He wants to do like bulk order um, garbage brown water. I sell roasted fresh on demand artisanal stuff. It's very different. Okay. But again, um, you know, I also do tea and cocoa. So I don't care about his coffee company. I wish him all the best. I hope he makes millions of dollars doing it um, because he's going to have a unique flair to it. Uh, other people think, you know, maybe he wants to get into the pop culture stuff. He's starting to cover more. He's trying to infringe on my space and he wants to separate. Don't care about that either. The more coverage of pop culture news and all this kind of stuff, the absolute better. Um, a lot of people speculated maybe he was losing a bunch of followers over it. He's not. He's crushing it. He's thriving. You know, so I, I don't know. I don't remember. Now, the, the privatized account thing and the Daily Beast article thing coincided, but he's certainly been unfollowing a lot of people. I'm not exactly sure what the situation is. Um, but certainly... You know, I, I think for me, the most important thing here is to absolutely not start some sort of weird creator on creator battle. You know, perhaps I've been too rough on Tim. Perhaps I've been un. How do I say it? Perhaps I've been too sloppy and where people who watch me think that I'm like enraged about Tim not covering it. This is not the first Tim time Tim has gone weeks without covering a topic that his viewers want him to cover, okay? Tim picks his topics. It's his own show. It's his own platform. 100% respect that. If he was bug, if he was being bugged by like, the, the Twitter thing is weird to me. It's not like I was quote tweeting him constantly and be like, talk about this, talk about this. I wasn't doing that. Um, in fact, the last tweet interaction we had, I made a big compliment and that he reciprocated. So I don't know if there's something that I've done that, you know, he's really upset about, but certainly he could have messaged me before blocking me. If he's sick, he didn't even follow me on Twitter anyway. So I hardly ever interacted with him on Twitter. He didn't even follow me. So he went and found my account and blocked it. Then he blocked me on Facebook Messenger. 
So like, this is not a weird glitch. This is not accidental. He's pissed about something and blocked me. Perhaps he was getting too much heat from people that he thought were exclusively my viewers. But from what I see in his chat, these are people who watch us both. Um, so, you know, Timmy, you know, I don't want to start any kind of battle. I just want to sell coffee beans and, and cover stuff on YouTube. And uh, I'm sure you're the same. So, um, you know, I've, I don't have any, any beef with Tim. I don't want you to be like, look, you guys are going to do what you want to do. People are canceling their Timcast subscription um, because they're upset about this. People are unsubscribing, they say, uh, because they're upset about this. If that's really happening, then those are your viewers, bro. Like, I'm not telling anyone to cancel their Timcast subscription. I'm not telling anyone to unsubscribe from Timcast. I never have. And I'm not doing that now. But, you know, your main channel, you lost some subscribers, and maybe that's bugging you a little bit. I don't know. This channel wasn't really growing that insanely much anyway. So I don't know. People say they're unsubscribing. I don't know. I've certainly seen people post their, you know, their cancellation of their Timcast support, which is their right. You know, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of money that has been willingly given to cover a topic. And if you don't want to cover it, you don't want to cover You don't have to cover it. I think that that's fine. I'm not mad at Tim. I'm chilling. I've got to go help my dad fix his sink. And, um, you know, that's it. I, I don't really know what it is. I'm not going to war on this because what's more important is what seems to be a very insidious relationship between one individual, Eliza Blue, and Twitter employees and this whole legal web of stuff that I'm far more interested in than arguing with Timmy Poole. Uh, I wish him all the best. Hopefully he'll let me know, you know, we can make things right, but I'm not really losing any sleep over it. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time to you know push out five, six videos a day and live streams and run the coffee company and start other stuff. I don't have time to worry about people being mad at me online. So uh, I appreciate all of your support. All I can say is, you know, check out coffee brand coffee. Even if you just read the reviews, promo code besties will save you 10%. And Tim, I wish you all the best, and uh, I hope that um, I hope that you feel better. I guess. <laughs>